a listener production. Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. And Rosie, haven't you had a week in a bit? I'm free! Freedom! I can- Such a I roller cannot- coaster you've been on. <laughs> oh my God, I cannot believe what happened. Okay, so first of all, Perth, Perth, Perth. People who had tickets to my Perth show, which was almost sold out at the Astor Theatre. And this is a show that was postponed from last year because of COVID. Mm, yeah. We get to. <laughs> so these people had already bought tickets, had it po- po- postponed, waited for this one. And then Caleb and I fly into Perth on Friday night, go out to dinner. Everything seems normal. Saturday morning, wake up in the hotel. I kick him out because I always need the hotel room to, buy, to myself on the day of a show. Mm-hmm. Wait, am I getting the days right? Thursday, then Friday? God, I've lost track of all concept of space and time. Anyway, the day of the show, I think that was Friday. <laughs> I kick him out of the hotel room. I'm in there. I'm rehearsing. I'm getting in the zone, in the headspace to perform. Mm-hmm. And then Caleb messages me because he's out having lunch with some political people I've never heard of. And he's like, hey, did you see there's something going on with a dude in a Perth quarantine hotel? Like, spread COVID everywhere. And I was like, what? No. And I just was like, stop bothering me. I've got to work. And so I went back Mm. to work. All of a sudden, Perth has a press conference in the afternoon. Snap lockdown, COVID, outbreak, everything's crazy. (laughs) And so (laughs) some guy in a quarantine hotel had got it and he'd gone out into the community and uh, before he realised he was positive. And so they announced a snap lockdown. And so then my mm. tour manager just comes running from his room and he's like, we've got to get on flights. We've got to get out of here. And like, cause the show <laughs> was canceled. Like, so he was like, mm. if we don't get out of here now, because from mm. midnight, all the States were going to close their borders and you'd have to go into quarantine. It would be this big thing. And my um, tour manager comes running in so proud of himself. He's like, Rosie, okay. I've got you and me, the last two tickets on the last flight out of Perth before midnight. (laughs) And I said to him, Andrew, what about Caleb? (laughs) And he goes, what? I said, Caleb's here. And he was like, oh, F word. (laughs) And he'd totally forgotten in his panic to get us tickets, totally forgotten about Caleb. And so then I was faced with this Sophie's Choice Because it was like, if I got on that six o'clock flight with my manager back to Adelaide, I wouldn't have to quarantine. I'd be considered Mm. safe. I'd be fine. If I didn't take that flight and stayed with Caleb, we'd be in lockdown in Perth for three days. And then when we Mm. got back to Adelaide, we'd have to quarantine for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was like to Andrew, no, I can't leave him. And then I was like, can I? Do you think maybe I can? (laughs) Uh, maybe I can, can I? And Andrew was just looking at me like, I'm not getting involved in this, Rosie. And so then out of the kindness of my heart, I said to Andrew, I can't leave Caleb alone in lockdown in a hotel room in Perth on a trip that he came with me just to support me doing my show. Mm. That would be mean. So (laughs) I said to Andrew, oh, God, please cancel my ticket. (laughs) (laughs) so andrew cancelled my ticket which was the at that point some very lucky person on standby got like a ticket popped up it was mine so they got Mm. the last ticket out of perth caleb and i then were in lockdown in perth for like three days flew into adelaide and had to quarantine for two weeks because south australia is really strict about this stuff And so we were all prepped to quarantine. We were in the house together since Sunday. But then yesterday they'd found that there'd been no new cases of COVID. They'd kind of like, you know, reacted quickly and swiftly and and intensely to Mm. be careful. But then after a couple of days they were like, oh, lol, maybe we overreacted. This is fine. So yesterday Mm -hmm. at about 4.30, South Australia Premier held a press conference and said, oh, Lol jokes about quarantine, you can leave. So mm-hmm. 
Caleb, it was like, you know, in a cartoon <laughs> when a character disappears so fast, all there is is a gust of wind. As soon as yeah. they announced quarantine was lifted and we were allowed out of the house, I turned around and he was gone and he was, like, at the pub with his friends. Like, I didn't even see. <laughs> I was like, Caleb, like, he'd already left. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that suggests to me that if the roles had been reversed, he might have ditched you. Do you think? I don't know. Potentially, but i got to tell you, while you were making your decision, your Sophie's Choice moment, mm. I was with my friend Vicky and yeah. I was saying she should just get out of there. She's got shows to do yes. around the rest of the country. She needs to be able to move. We've got a big event coming up this Friday. She needs to just ditch him. He's dead weight, leave him behind <laughs> to fend for himself. Vicky, however, was looking at me absolutely horrified, like, no, you, you can't do oh, that to your partner. You don't I do know. that to someone. Look, Jacob, um, I'm not... I'm not going to lie, I considered it. There was a moment when me and Andrew were in my hotel room looking at each other like, can I do this? Because, yeah, I was really worried about Sydney. I was, You and I mm. go into the RuPaul's red carpet premiere tomorrow. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. I can't. But then I was like, I, oh, my God, is this, this is the ultimate proof that I am truly in love because I, I, the words are about to come out of my mouth that you should give mm. my plane ticket away. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't leave Caleb here alone. That would be mean. But oh, yes, good question. I don't know. I, I don't know what he would do if the um, roles were reversed. I'm sure he'd stay, wouldn't he? Um, choose to believe that. <laughs> it's probably best that you choose to believe that's the case. I hope so. But I literally <laughs> cannot believe the timing. Like Perth and WA has been like the safest place in the country for a year. They have mm. just locked down borders, just told everyone else to get effed. Like, speaking of dead weight, WA's basically treated the rest of the country like dead weight. They've been like, Mm -hmm. you know, fend for yourselves, suckers. They've had no cases. And Mm. literally the day after we land there, they have like this little mini outbreak and I couldn't believe it. So Perth, we are rescheduling the show for soon. It's not going to be a year from now. It's going to be like a few weeks from now because mm-hmm. a lot of comedians had like their, all their shows cancelled that weekend. So everyone's kind of jostling to reschedule. Um, so just hang on to your tickets because they'll be valid at the next show. As soon as we mm-hmm. know when it's booked in, I will let you know that I'm coming back to do it. We will, Perth, eventually do this show. <laughs> We will get it done. So, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, so. (laughs) On Friday night, I saw Daniel Sloss's show at the Elmore Theatre as part of the Sydney Comedy Festival, which was phenomenal. Um, He's the best. And, of course, he's just come out to Australia and he's back performing for the first time since COVID started and he's been in Mm. the UK that entire time. Oh, yeah. Um, And so to him, it just... (laughs) made him laugh and blew his mind at the same time that we as a nation were freaking out over one case. One case, <laughs> Considering yeah. <laughs> what it's yeah. been like over there for them. Yeah. Um, that just tickled him and I can absolutely understand why. But this is why we're on top of the virus here. Well, I suppose it is why we're on top of the virus. But also, I mean, Caleb was really cranky that we had to go into two weeks of quarantine in South Australia, especially when... Perth residents got let out of lockdown and were allowed yeah. back out and we were still in quarantine in South Australia mm-hmm. and, like, Caleb wrote this cranky column. And But um, I heard on the news that that three-day snap lockdown that they did in Perth, especially because it was during the Perth Comedy Festival, so there's a lot of stuff going on in the city, would have cost the economy $300 million just for that three mm-hmm. days. Like, so I think it is getting to a point where... We need to hurry up and get everybody effing vaccinated because mm-hmm. there are going to be outbreaks with one people, one person or two people and it's getting to the point where, like, we can't afford to just lock everything down every time that happens and mm-hmm. we wouldn't have to lock everything down if we hadn't effed up this vaccination thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's so funny that that we were giving the US so much shit for bungling it so badly. Donald Trump basically pretended like it didn't exist and then said inject yourselves with bleach and meanwhile we had basically like barely had any cases. But now the Mm. US are on top of vaccinations, like bloody nailing it. I think they've already delivered like 100 million of them or something. Mm -hmm. Are they likely to get to herd immunity though because there are so many people who are vaccine hesitant or will just refuse? It doesn't seem like people are refusing. Like, 
considering they've already given out over 100 million doses, it seems like most people are getting it. Okay, so they're close to a third already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just can't believe that's how many they've given out and how many have we given out? Like, I don't know, seems like 500 or something. Like, we've really bungled it. Mm. So, hmm. Apparently the one we want to get is Pfizer. Well, yeah, because, but then everyone's going on about how AstraZeneca, you know, has this risk of blood clots, but the risk of blood clots is the same or like less than the risk of blood clots that women, you know, take the risk every day when they take contraceptive pills. So, Mm. oh, wait, but we're ladies. Who cares about us? It is extremely common, well, not extremely, but, like, it's very common for women to die from blood clots from contraceptive pills. And this, I'd never been aware of that until they started comparing the AstraZeneca vaccine to birth control. It Um, happens all the time. I was reading this article, I think, in The Guardian the other day, listing all the women who have died just this year from blood clots from contraceptive pills. But people don't care when it's a lady medicine. That is shocking. I mean, I know. Mm. I know. It really is God. shocking. I'll put some articles in the show notes of this. Yeah. People get so fired up about abortion and being pro life and whatever. Mm. But then to not be super concerned about the fact that birth control for young women is actually so hazardous. Oh, yes. Of course it is. That's wild. Yeah, it is. And uh, anyway, Bananas. like. And when they started doing trials on um, contraceptives for males, male contraceptives, they completely shelved the entire concept of it when some trials came back with, like, a minor, minor risk that was something far less than what women face taking contraceptive pills every day. They were like, we could never, and just shut it down. (laughs) So, Mm. like, it's just, "Mm, this stuff makes me angry, and you know what I'm going to say, gender dynamics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also read Pain and Prejudice by Gabrielle Jackson. It's all about how women are not taken seriously by the medical industry. That took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to. Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop. I see X-ray, X-ray. Read all about it. Breaking news. It's coming down the wire. Okay, so... I love this so much. I just have a very small update for you on the whole Byron Bay's reality show fiasco. Oh, yeah. I love this visual. You can Google it because all the news, uh, all the news stations played it. They all did one of those. You know when like um, someone who surfs a lot or someone who loves the ocean dies, and all their surfing mm. friends get on their surfboards and paddle out into the ocean, and they all form mm-hmm. a big circle and hold hands in tribute of like the person they've yep. lost. Well, mm-hmm. residents of Byron Bay did one of those surfboard circles, but, like, because they're sad about the reality show. <laughs> <laughs> and they invited all the news crews. And so all the news cameras were there with all these, like, super, like, intense, like, hipster Byron Bay people, like, being really mm. somber and paddling out on their surfboards in protest of what's going to kill Byron Bay like it's not dead already. They didn't realise that they were just giving the show free advertising. I mean, that (laughs) stunt itself has gone viral and anyone who wasn't aware of the TV show certainly is now. And the more they protest, the more attention they're going to bring to it and the more anticipation and hype they're going to build up for it. So it's... Do they not realise that them doing... Them doing insufferable, ridiculous shit like that is the reason people want a reality TV show based around their town. (laughs) Do you guys not realise how insufferable you are? Oh, my God. Yeah, so that was just a quick one. Um, Oh, so this broke in the news literally this morning as we Mm. were sort of getting ready to come on that um, Mm -hmm. Britney Spears put in a request to the judge handling her conservatorship case that she would like to address the court and the judge in person. He mm-hmm. approved that request. So Brittany will be addressing the judge about her conservatorship on June 24th. I am nervous, I have to say. Why are you nervous about? She seems to get very flustered and trip all over her words when she's just doing an Instagram post. So when she's actually on the stand with 
that many eyes on her in such an important moment mm. um, and the pressure's really on, yeah, I'm concerned that she's going to be able to articulate herself in a way that makes the judge see that she doesn't need a conservatorship or understand why Jamie's not the right person to be looking after her affairs at least. I wonder what she's going to say though. Like I, what if she gets up and says, I just want to like put it on the record that I'm fine with my dad doing this and everything's great and everyone leave me alone. I mean, that'd be mm. a bombshell. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder it what sure she's going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated. It's going to break a lot of people's hearts if she gets up there and says, um, look, Oh, no. I mean, she she's made it very clear she doesn't want Jamie in charge, right? Yeah, I think she will say yeah. something like that. And in the last few days as well, there was court filings. Jamie, like, filed uh, complaints about her mum, Lynn, saying that Lynn is manipulating Brittany and taking advantage of her, like, trauma and pain to, like, try and control her. So clearly something's gone down in the last few days that's made Jamie panic and then... Britney's come forward and said she wants to talk mm-hmm. to the judge. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's wild to me I that she it's... hasn't spoken to the judge previously. Is this going to be her first moment? Yeah, it's always been done through her lawyers. This is the first time mm-hmm. she's requested herself to get up and make some kind of statement. Mm-hmm. So I hope it's televised, but mm-hmm. I doubt it will be. Oh, God, I hope <laughs> it is. Oh, my God, I want to see it so badly. I do too, yeah. Mm. Two months. We've got to wait two months. I know. The countdown's on. Poor Britters. Um, And here's another just very quick one that I thought would tickle your funny bone. Um, So (laughs) Bondi, which is kind of like Byron Bay but in Sydney City, is just filled with insufferable hipsters and influencers. The other night in Bondi, a drug dealer got arrested because he got pulled over for driving down the wrong way down a one way street by an undercover Mm. policeman. So the undercover policeman pulled him over, this guy over for a traffic violation at like two in the morning. And then Mm. these girls come over and they like waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're just standing there waiting. And like the police officer's like, this is a bit weird. Like, and then the girls just go, can you hurry up? And he's like, is there something you want? And they said, yeah, we're here to buy our Coke. So they, t- they, they were meeting the driver for a rendezvous to buy their cocaine, thought that the undercover cop in front of them was another customer taking too long and blew the whole thing wide open. So as soon as they said that, the undercover cop was like, wait, what? And he turns around to the driver who's suddenly throwing little baggies out his window. It's a true Bondi tragedy. <laughs> what are the odds? Uh, oh, I would love it if a seagull came along and ate all those baggies and then Bondi <laughs> ends up with its own equivalent of cocaine bear with a cocaine yes. gull. <laughs> oh. uh, can you imagine being the undercover cop in that situation? Yeah. Did and the also girls get into two- any trouble? Oh, of course they did. And you know that mm. those girls, you know the exact kind of girls they were. You know that they were like pushy... For- Beckys who were like standing there tapping their feet getting annoyed that they were waiting more than five minutes for their cocaine and they would have stomped up to the police officer and go can you hurry up we want our coke so it's <laughs> almost body like con dresses yes yeah, body con dresses yeah serves them right <laughs> when they wake Terrible up in the morning tans. they throw on their pe nation jumper go down and get an <laughs> oat milk coffee or whatever they do Oh, dear. Horrific fake nails. Yeah. (laughs) So that's pretty much all the breaking news because breaking news is is what I decide are the important headlines in the world each week and those are what I picked. And so tell me this request and I'll tell you if I approve it. Yes. Well, I mean, I know we're not a democracy here at Just the Gist. This is very much an autocracy. But if there were a democratic voice, so many people sent in the story of Hi, guys. Yeah, Jacob told me the request and it was denied. So we just cut all of that. (laughs) Okay, and that was the end of breaking news. (laughs) Uh This isn't a democracy. It's not a democracy. It's a cheeritocracy. Okay. 
Okay, so it's my story this <gasps> week. Yeah, um, what are you serving us? Yes, you don't know. So I am going to tell you the story of back in the 80s. I haven't figured out like what to call it yet because I'm doing a, a couple of different stories combined together. But back in the mm. 80s, there was a series of incidences where people were tampering with headache tablets and filling them with cyanide. Mm. And it is the reason uh, we now uh. have tamper-proof seals on all medications sold in drugstores. Wow. In, like, pharmacies and stuff. So I'm telling you the uh, story of the, like, headache capsule murders okay. of the 1980s. Okay. Wow. All right. I thought it was just an urban myth. but um, No. Well, it ooh. actually it did actually happen quite famously in a couple of occasions and I'm going to tell you those occasions. Okay. But it is one of those things that then turned into this huge urban myth but really like it happened and they took steps to make sure it wouldn't happen again and it pretty much hasn't happened again. So it's not one of those things you need to be panicking about, you know, uh-huh. a la needles and strawberries, etc. Can you explain that for overseas gistners? Because that, I think, is a <laughs> yes. very Australian reference and I, it is where my brain went immediately. So in the last couple of years or the last three or four years, I think, um, mm. Australia has had this weird thing where every, I would say it's happened a couple of times, I think, um, people have found needles, like sewing needles in their strawberries that they buy from the supermarket. And it happened a few times, like I think a few years ago, and then they caught the woman who did it. She was like some disgruntled employee or something. But then like people started doing it, I think, just for lols. And so then it, ha- it just kept happening over the last couple of mm. years. People, and then they weren't sure if people were just sticking needles in their own strawberries to like get payouts and stuff. So we've mm. had a weird needle in strawberry problem here for a couple Years. Which Would launched some serious panics. Yeah, yeah no, because it did. people just stopped buying berries altogether. And so then yeah. they were having to just, you know, chuck a whole lot of strawberries, perfectly good strawberries, into landfill. Everyone mm. who did buy strawberries was chopping it up into little pieces to make sure that there couldn't yeah. possibly be a needle stuck in there. I'm sure there are some people who still do that to this day. Well, and it is one of those weird things where, you know, when you look at the percentage of strawberries that were affected, it is minute compared to the amount of strawberries out there in the shops. But as soon as it is on the news, people think, well, what if I eat the one strawberry that has a needle in it? So it becomes a panic. It's kind of like um, how people uh, panic about Halloween lollies in the US. Mm. And there's a great um, episode of a show called American Hysteria, a podcast called American Hysteria, and she Mm. does a whole episode on people panicking about Halloween candy and there being like stuff in Halloween candy. I think you're wrong about did an episode about it too, that it becomes this Mm -hmm. huge panic. But really when you look at the statistics, it only happened like three or four times in history. Mm. So it's just, but that doesn't stop people freaking over it. Well, I mean, we're seeing it happen now with the AstraZeneca vaccine, like we just discussed, like three or four people have died from blood clots. And so we've just said, no, absolutely not. Don't take it if you're under 50. Yeah, but, like, that's out of millions and millions of people. So it's just, Mm. anyway. Anyway, so here we go. I'm going to tell you about this. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. September 29, 1982. We're in Chicago. 12-year-old Mary Kellerman suddenly collapses. She's rushed to hospital, but she dies within hours with no apparent Mm. cause. Later that day, 27-year-old Adam Janus is brought to the same hospital after randomly collapsing. He also dies. A few Mm -hmm. hours later, his brother, 25-year-old Stanley, and his sister-in-law, 19-year-old Teresa, also collapse and die. Over the next few days, all in Chicago, 31-year-old Mary McFarland, 35-year-old Paula Prince, and 27-year-old Mary Rayner all suddenly die the same way. So that's seven people who just suddenly collapsed and died for no apparent reason. The authorities think it has to be linked somehow because there's just no reason that, because they're all quite young, that they would Mm. just collapse and die 
like with no explanation and also Mm. all seven people all in the same way all within a couple of days. So during Mm -hmm. the autopsies, medical examiners noticed the smell of bitter almonds, which is known Mm. by science people and crime people to be what cyanide smells like. Mm -hmm. So cyanide is famously very untraceable, so has been a very popular method of poisoning people throughout history, but the Mm -hmm. only trace of it is being able to sometimes smell bitter almonds. So Mm -hmm. they're like, shit, like these people have died of cyanide poisoning. And, you know, it is such a horrible way to die. I looked it up. So it when you are poisoned by cyanide, it breaks down the enzymes in your blood that absorb oxygen. So oxygen kind of stops going to your heart and brain and if within minutes mm-hmm. you die. So you're suffocating even though you're <gasps> breathing. Oh, oh. Yeah. Isn't that horrible? Oh, be and so it's painful. I, I mean, I'd say it's probably quite painful. Yeah. Yeah, but it's fast. Yes, it's very Uh fast. So the families of the seven dead people are interviewed, including like that one family had three people from the one family. Like how horrible is that? Mm -hmm. Um, It's quickly realised that they all took the headache tablet Tylenol before they died. So tests Mm -hmm. are done on all the Tylenol bottles they had used and all of them had capsules inside the bottles laced with cyanide. Um, And that's when they realised that someone had randomly opened up these capsules. So they were capsules, you know, um, not like a hard tablet, but a capsule that you can Mm. split the two bits apart and, yeah. So someone had Mm -hmm. opened up the capsules, put cyanide inside them, closed the capsules up and put them back in the bottles. And back then there was no tamper-proof seals on bottles. So you could just Mm. go into a shop and open a bottle of, like, you know, Tylenol or, you know, what for us here is like Panadol or Paracetamol, like whatever our brands are, and you could just Mm -hmm. open it. And then there was nothing, like, to tell whether someone else had opened it or whether anything had been done. I think they had, like, um, a little cotton ball in the top of the bottle. Like, that was (laughs) (laughs) That was their (laughs) fail-safe. Like, if there's no cotton ball there, then call the police. (laughs) But um, Um, Just out of interest is... The um, cyanide, is it a powder? Is it a liquid? It's like it, uh, as a poison, it kind of is like, a, yeah, like a little powder that you uh-huh. like. So someone had sprinkled it inside the Tylenol capsules. But I think uh-huh. it can come in many forms. It comes from like a plant originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, you know, like well, we were talking about cocaine. Can't it be like different? Like it can be in different, can't you like inject it, but then it's also a powder and I don't know, I'm not cool. (laughs) (laughs) It can just be like many form, whatever. This is just the gist. Now every bottle of Tylenol in the country, but especially Chicago, because that's where the seven people died, like authorities are like every single bottle of Tylenol in the country could be about to kill someone because they Mm -hmm. have no idea which bottles are laced. And this is a product that everybody has in their home. It's just headache tablets. It's painkillers. Like Mm -hmm. everybody here has that in their house. And so they had no way of knowing if someone at the factory had done it or if some random person on the street had just walked into a pharmacy and done it. Like all the bottles were bought from different locations. It was totally nuts. Mm -hmm. They had no idea. There was nationwide panic. Johnson & Johnson, who made Tylenol, recalled 31 million bottles that were in circulation across the country, which in today's money would cost $265 million. Wow. Um, Police cars drove down streets with loudspeakers, like, around neighbourhoods in Chicago saying, (laughs) do not take Tylenol, do you have Tylenol, get rid of your Tylenol. Wow. And here's the thing, they never found who did it. So they had a few suspects that kind of fizzled out. I think we'll do another episode where we go into Mm -hmm. this case in more detail, but we're, like, going to talk about something else today. But they had a few Mm -hmm. suspects that kind of fizzled out. Um, They thought maybe Ted Kaczynski for a while, the guy who was the Unabomber, um, but Mm -hmm. they just never really figured it out. So besides Johnson & Johnson updating how they made their headache tablets. So they started making mm. hard tablets rather than capsules and they put little mm. tamper-proof seals on their bottles. Nothing really happened besides that. Like authorities made tampering with a drug a federal crime. So if anyone did ever get caught, they would be in big trouble. But other than that, they were like, 
well, I hope that doesn't happen again because mm-hmm. that was bad. Four years later, it happens again. So mm. on June 11, 1986, 40-year-old bank manager Sue Snow gets up in the morning, starts getting ready for work. She takes two Excedrin headache tablets, which is a different brand, a different company. She jumps in the shower. About half an hour later, her daughter is wondering what's taking her so long, so she goes to, to the bathroom, finds her mother Sue unconscious on the floor. She's rushed to hospital but dies a few hours later. Mm. When doing the autopsy, what does the medical examiner notice? Bitter almonds. Bitter almonds. Mm. They can smell Mm. bitter almonds. So they do all the science tests that they do. I'm no scientist, but they do those tests. And they Mm -hmm. find out that Sue Snow has indeed died of cyanide poisoning. Her daughter said that she had taken the two Excedrin tablets that morning. So they test the bottle and they find that in the 60 pill bottle, three other capsules in the bottle. So they were still capsules, like Excedrin was Mm -hmm. still making theirs as capsules. Three other capsules in the bottle had cyanide in them. Sue's husband had even taken two capsules from the bottle that morning also, but he was just lucky enough to not get the ones that were laced with cyanide. So then authorities are like, holy shit balls! what if this is the same person who did the Chicago Tylenol murders? Like, what if they're back? And because mm. of what had happened with the Chicago Tylenol murders, like, they don't mess around. They announce it on the news straight away. They pull all Excedrin uh, headache capsules off the shelves. The public goes nuts because everybody knows that they haven't solved the Tylenol murders. So they're like, what if it's the same guy? What if it's happening again? The local mm. drug companies in the state. So this is Washington. It's in a different state. The local drug companies band together and offer $300,000 reward to anyone who comes forward with info. And police are hoping that it isn't the same guy because they're like, okay, this is a different state. Only one person has died. It doesn't really match what happened in Chicago where a lot of people died all on the same day. Like Mm. they even start to suspect um, Sue's husband because they're like very convenient that he took tablets that morning and his weren't laced with cyanide. Like that's very Mm. lucky. Plus Mm. he'd been having an affair and he didn't seem that devo that Sue had died um, and his mm-hmm. so her family was, like, really suspecting him. And the police really want it to be him because they're like, okay, that would solve the case, but also it would be a relief because, like, it would mean that this isn't a repeat yeah. of what happened in Chicago. This is just one random guy who killed his wife. So yep. the FBI comes in and gives him a lie detector test and he passes. So oh, they're, they're like, not reliable. Well, but that's it was the 80s. It was 86. So they were like, this is the primo of technology. So you're innocent. Right. <laughs> so, okay. But also all the evidence against him was quite circumstantial. So they were like, we can't really get him on this anyway. Then after doing like mass tests on all the bottles, they had pulled off all the shelves they find another two bottles at two different stores in the area also have capsules inside them laced with cyanide. Then Mm -hmm. a woman called Stella Nichol, she calls up, you know, like the info hotline they'd set up and she says, look, my husband dropped dead two weeks ago and they said it was natural causes due to emphysema, but he didn't have emphysema that we knew Mm. of, and he had taken two Excedrin headache tablets that morning. And so the police Mm. are like, F. So they dig up her husband, who had recently been buried. They do an autopsy, test him for cyanide. Yep, he had actually died of cyanide poisoning. So she gives the police the two bottles of Excedrin they had in the house and said, you know, he could have taken them from either of these. They test Mm -hmm. the bottles. Both have capsules (gasps) in them laced with cyanide. Mm -hmm. But then nobody else dies and the police are at a loss and they don't think it's the Chicago Tylenol murderer because, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just two random people. They hoped it was Sue's husband. It wasn't. So they just go on testing all the bottles they've recalled from the shelves. It's the only thing they can Mm -hmm. really do is just test all these bottles. And when they Mm -hmm. finish testing thousands and thousands and thousands of bottles of Excedrin headache capsules for cyanide, they find that only five bottles out of all the bottles Mm. had cyanide in them. There was the one bottle that killed Sue Snow. Mm -hmm. 
There was the three mm-hmm. they found in random stores and the two that Stella Nickel had given them from her house. And that's mm-hmm. when they go, huh, which I heard you do before. It's very strange that out of like 80,000 bottles, mm. only five random bottles were laced with cyanide and Stella mm. happened to randomly have two of those five. Like what are the odds that mm. she happened to buy two mm. of the only five bottles laced with cyanide? They're like, that's a coincidence mm. because they were all in different places and they all came from different areas, so strange. Then the FBI testy people who test all the science things, they Mm. tested the inside of the capsules that had cyanide in them. And along with the cyanide, they also found tiny little green crystals that when they tested it, they saw they were broken down parts of something called algae destroyer, which is like uh, something Mm. commonly used in like fish tanks and aquariums Mm. to stop the aquariums from getting all dirty, like in that scene in Finding Nemo. And so the police officer who interviewed Stella Nichol a couple of weeks earlier was like, huh, when I went to Stella's place, she had a whole bunch of fancy aquariums. So they go around to all the pet stores in the area and they find a guy who remembers selling this algae destroyer to Stella and he also Mm. remembers that he specifically told her, you have to crush these algae destroyer tablets up because they're kind of like those um, tablets you put in like the dishwasher. He said mm-hmm. you have to crush them up because a lot of customers have found that they um, have problems fully dissolving in water. So crush it up, mm-hmm. then put it in the water. So the mm-hmm. police are like, huh, so that could mean that Stella had used like a mortar and pestle to crush up the algae destroyer, didn't fully mm-hmm. clean it, then mm-hmm. used that same mortar and pestle to crush up and mix the cyanide in with mm-hmm. the excedrin stuff and then put it back in the capsules. Mm -hmm. So they do a bit more digging and they find out that after her husband's death had been ruled to be caused by natural causes due to emphysema, she had kept Mm. hassling the doctor at the hospital saying, no, I don't think it's natural causes. Keep looking into this. I think there has to be something else going on. And eventually they, they had to say to her, we're sorry, he died of emphysema. That's our final decision. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Then they found out that Stella had a life insurance policy on her husband. She would get around 70 grand if he died, no matter what, but she'd get an mm-hmm. extra 100 grand if the death was due to an unexpected accident i.e. by taking random cyanide. So they ask her to do a lie detector. She Mm. refuses. And they have all this circumstantial evidence but not enough to really pin her down at this point Mm. until a few months later Stella's daughter comes forward and she's like, hey, guys, I think my mum did this. She said, Mm. my mum was fascinated by the Chicago Tylenol murders like four years ago and said Mm. even back then that that would be a great way to kill her husband, Bruce, who she hated. Um, Mm -hmm. And she talked over the years about like um, getting insurance money and what she could spend the insurance money on if he died and how she wished he was dead. And then she also said that a few months ago, her mum had started borrowing books from the library about cyanide and poisoning. <laughs> and her daughter was like, plus she's been awful to me my whole life and I hate her so she mm-hmm. can get effed. I'm dobbing her in. Mm-hmm. So the police go to the <laughs> library and under Stella's name, a bunch of books had been checked out all about cyanide and natural poisons. Her fingerprints are all over them. One book called Deadly Harvest was overdue because she'd never returned it. And when they find it at her house, the pages about cyanide have been bookmarked and are covered in her fingerprints like she's read them several times. So this is this, dark. But the darkest things make me laugh. I know, I know, I know. So this is when they pieced together what happened. She had laced her husband Bruce's Excedrin headache capsules with cyanide Mm. and she had hoped that the hospital would see that he'd been poisoned with cyanide. She would mention he'd taken headache capsules that morning and the doctors would assume, oh, my God, this is what happened with the same thing that happened with the Chicago Mm. Tylenol murders. His death would Mm -hmm. be ruled an unexpected accident and she'd get the big payout. But Mm -hmm. 
Then her plan was kind of foiled because the doctors at the hospital said, no, your husband died of natural causes due to emphysema. Mm. And here's this really fascinating thing. So they'd done an autopsy on him. But did you know that to be able to smell the bitter almond smell of cyanide is a genetic thing? It's kind of like how Mm. only some people can taste coriander like soap, right? And so the medical examiner who opened up her husband just must have been one of the people who don't have the ability to smell the bitter almonds of cyanide. Mm. Apparently it's only mm-hmm. about like, it's something like uh, six to 10% of people can smell it. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's not a lot. So, mm. you know, the medical examiner who checked her husband never smelt the almonds. So never suspected anything said her husband died of emphysema. So then she was like, well, F I want that extra hundred grand. So mm. she went out got a bunch more bottles of headache capsules, laced them with cyanide and went and put them back on the shelves in random places and waited for other people to die. So then she could innocently call the police and be like, oh, Oh. I've seen the news. I think that's what happened to my husband. What a piece of work. What a piece of work. (laughs) You know what this reminds me of? You know that anecdote they say... um, the way to tell a psychopath is to ask them this riddle. You go, a psychopath uh, is at the funeral of their mother and they meet the Mm. love of their life, but they don't get their name or their number and they don't know how to contact them. What do they do to find the love of their life again? Kill another family member. They kill their father, (laughs) assuming that that person will come to the funeral. I was like, this is what she's done. She's just like, oh, well, I guess I better just randomly kill some other people so then I can call up and say, oh, my husband's part of that too. Extra money, Mm. please. So So just so I'm piecing this together correctly, the first death that you told us about with Excedrin, was that a victim of this woman or were they unrelated? Yes, it was. So that woman... That woman had taken, well, her husband technically was the first one, but then the doctors didn't realise it was cyanide poisoning. So then she went and put cyanide in a bunch of other bottles. Sue Snow took one of those tablets, died. Mm -hmm. It caused a panic because of the, like, history Mm. of the the Tylenol poisonings a few years earlier. And that's when she called up and she was like, hey, if that woman died of cyanide in her headache tablets, maybe that's Mm. what my husband died of, guys. And they were like, thanks for helping us out, lady, until they realised. Only thanks to the daughter coming forward, though, it sounds like. I know. She almost got away with it. With her daughter's testimony, they are able to take her to trial. She's convicted of the two deaths, the death of Sue Snow and the death of her husband, Bruce. She's convicted of drug tampering, which since Chicago um, four years earlier had been made a big federal crime. So she gets a huge sentence. She gets sentenced to 90 years in prison. Um, she's still in there now. She's 77. She's been Mm. eligible for parole since 2018, but it hasn't been approved, Um, probably because she still maintains her innocence. And part of getting parole Mm. is admitting to your crime and apologising for it, but she maintains Mm. she's innocent. She says her daughter always hated her. Her daughter lied about having a horrible childhood, was always trying to make her look bad. Oh, who does this sound like? <laughs> Listen to my podcast. Mum says my memoir is a lie. Um, she says that her daughter just wanted to get the reward money because her daughter did. Remember those drug companies had come together and put up a $300,000 reward. Her daughter got $250,000 of that for coming forward and dobbing in her mum. So she said, my daughter just wanted the money. My daughter set this whole thing up in order to make me look guilty so she could dob me in and get the money, which, like, I doubt is true. But if it is true, her daughter is a genius. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I don't buy it. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't buy it. I mean, to me it's like a movie. maybe just don't be a dick to your daughter and she wouldn't throw you under. The, like, I'm sure she did it for the reward money, but if you were awful mm. to her, then why wouldn't she? Mm. I mean, look, I'm, I'll tell you what. If, if, <laughs> if my mum pulled this stunt and I was looking at three hundred grand, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't 
hesitate. <laughs> and no one would blame you. <laughs> no. So after uh, sh- this uh, all happened, um, which became known as the, Excedr- the Excedrin murders, and this was four years after the Chicago Tylenol murders, the FDA, which is the... Um, what is it, Federal Drug Administration in the US Mm -hmm. were like, shit, okay, we better put in some actual rules to stop this from happening again. Because after Mm -hmm. Chicago, Johnson & Johnson had kind of changed what they did with their own bottles, but it hadn't become like a nationwide rule. So the FDA Mm -hmm. was like, okay, we need tamper-proof. We need to like pretty much probably stop doing two-part capsules. We need to just start making like hard tablets of things. Mm -hmm. And so... The Chicago Tylenol murders and then this copycat murder with Stella Nichol is the reason now all of our, like, medications and everything we get from pharmacies and a lot of foods as well all have, like, tamper-proof seals on them. Like, you Mm -hmm. cannot open something you got from the pharmacy and, like, not be able to tell whether or not it's been tampered with. Mm. It's like Fort Knox getting into those babies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and the little blister packs and whatnot. Mm, yeah. And thank goodness. Blister packs and those things that like are indented and they only pop out if they've been opened and like foil seals and all that kind of stuff. So mm. they really like make sure now. And so that is the story of people being murdered via cyanide being put into headache tablets. And it was really real. And I feel like such an idiot because at first when you were describing the Tylenol incidents, I was literally picturing a person in the aisle of a pharmacy opening a bottle, gently, delicately opening up a capsule, <laughs> sprinkling in what? some powdered cyanide and sealing it all back up. But of course, they would have done the whole thing at home. Yeah, and I think they took it home. planted the bo- yeah. <laughs> bottles yeah. in the stores. But the crazy um, thing is they never caught who... To this day, they still don't know who did the Chicago, the Chicago Tylenol murders. I mean, they caught Stella Nichol for this one because she was just like an idiot who wanted to murder her husband for the money. They mm. still think that the Chicago Tylenol murders were like a sort of wider act of terrorism, like somebody was mm. just trying to cause terror in society. Mm-hmm. But they don't know who. Mm. They never caught still them. still out there. Well, I'd say they are. But then, I mean, what if, though, looking at what Stella did to get her husband, maybe, oh, no, but I don't want to accuse any family members of the Chicago, well, maybe it was the same thing with the Chicago Tylenol murders. Like, one person was the target, but they laced a whole bunch of bottles to make it look like a random Mm. attack on a lot of people. Maybe. Mm. Which is diabolical and very dark, but... Seems like they got it away. Really with it really is, and that's why. Like, I started researching initially just the Chicago Tylenol murders because I was going to do a whole episode on that. But then, when it led me to this, I found this way more interesting. Because mm. first of all, I find unsolved things really boring because you get to the end of them and you're like, oh, and so and we don't know anything else. Okay, thanks. So I found this mm. one way more interesting because she she almost pulled off the perfect crime but just made a few crappy mistakes. And it also makes you ask so many questions about what the actual motivation was for the original Tylenol murders. I really thought that it was going to end up being some sort of corporate espionage type thing. The fact that they were all the same brand made me think it's Mm. someone who's got it out for Tylenol specifically or for Johnson & Johnson as a whole. Well, that is a theory that is explored. Like, because it's unsolved, the Chicago Tylenol murders, there's so many theories floating around, including, like I said, that Ted Kaczynski did it from prison, which is just silly. Or that, um, yeah, it was either Johnson & Johnson figured out that someone in their, like, company did it, but then they covered it up because they didn't want people to know, or that it was mm. another company trying to bring them down. But actually it made them far more popular after it happened because they handled it so well. Like they were mm. completely honest with the public. They were completely forthright about pulling all products off the shelves. They completely just shouldered the loss, which, like I said, was almost half a billion dollars. And their mm. stock price initially crashed because, you know, their most popular product was unsellable for a year. Mm. But after the whole thing kind of wound down, people really trusted Johnson & Johnson so much more because of how well they had handled this huge crisis. So in the end, Mm. like, they were a much more respected, popular company worth a lot more money. So if it was Mm. espionage, it was stupid. 
backfired. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And then, you know, people were worried that it would lead to a bunch of, like, copycats and, and like, here in Australia with needles randomly popping up in strawberries all the time now. But really there was only a couple of other cases. There was this one where it was just Stella trying to murder her husband. There was another guy who died, but it turns out that he had done it as a form of suicide. He'd taken cyanide from the lab that he worked in. And other than that, there was a couple of other like sort of not particularly high profile cases, but it never became the huge, like scary thing that everybody thought it had it or would be. It was just kind of like these two sort of specific incidences and then it never really happened again because they tamper proofed all the bottles. Yeah. Okay. So the safety measures are working. I guess. Good. Hooray. And that is just the gist of the poison laced headache tablets of the eighties. That was fascinating. I was so sure the husband had done it. Mm, I know, right? That a was a great were. twist. Thanks. Mm. Well, it wasn't my twist. It was just how the story went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told well told, you. sweetie. Well justified. Um, we give you just the gist, but if you want more, I read um, or listened to, because I always listen to books, this amazing book called Bitter Almonds by a mm. uh, true crime writer called Greg Olson. He's one of my favourite true crime writers. He does amazing true crime books. It's an old book. He wrote it back sort of when it happened, so I think it came out in the early 90s. Um, there's also this great episode of Forensic Files that has all the tacky um, reenactments and stuff um, with Stella. And there's also a great episode of our old favourite show, Deadly Women, which um, oh. does a very cheesy <laughs> version. <laughs> and you are remembering. Jacob is laughing so much because Deadly Women, <laughs> Deadly Women is a true crime show um, made and produced in Canada but I think because it was cheaper, they filmed it all in Australia. <laughs> so a bunch of our friends from drama school pop up in very cheesy reenactments in this show called Deadly Women. It's great. I think it's on Netflix. I think you can find it on YouTube. Um, oh. But, yeah, it's it's um, it's the path, you know, there but for the grace of God go us, Jacob. <laughs> we could have ended up on that show oh. doing cheesy reenactments. Now we, we could. Just and make guys, a if you're listening, I'm laughing with you. Laughing Not at with you. you. <laughs> hey, at least you got paid work. At least they got paid yeah, acting work yeah, after absolutely. drama school. Good for them. <laughs> so, yes, there is also an episode of Deadly Women about Stella Nichol um, and the Excedrin murders. And so that's that. There you go. There you Yeehaw. go. All right. Well, well thank you very much will... for serving that. Oh, my gosh. You're so welcome. And we'll be back next week, lovers. Mm-hmm. I'll be seeing you on Friday for Ooh, our red RuPaul's. carpet debut together, Drag Race Down Under. And then because you've just told me that you're going to be staying here in Sydney for an extended period of time, I really think next Wednesday you should come with me and the widow Stanley and my aunt to see Tina Arena. <laughs> Are you yes, keen? Okay. I'll get you a ticket. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's do it. I'm in chains. I saw yeah, her at was... um uh the LA G'day USA gala in LA back in like twenty I don't know thirteen or something, and she was amazing. She sung oh, all she's her phenomenal. hits. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's underrated. I know. We don't appreciate her enough. Sweet Sorrento she's Moon. An icon. Great song. Great song. Oh, that's the way a woman feels. Oh, oh Tina. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I'm oh. excited. Oh, all right. Good. Okay, love you. Right. Bye. I'll see you there. Bye. Listener.